Welcome to the Higher Ed Retire Podcast with your host, Greg Shepard. Greg is a fee-only financial advisor who specializes in helping those in higher education to take control of their retirement. Since 2001, Greg has helped employees all over the country make the most of their retirement plans. Hey there, folks. Greg Shepard here, Higher Ed Retire Podcast. I am your humble host, as always, and of course, I appreciate everybody out there listening to this silly little podcast I've been doing for, what, two or three years now? A lot of good feedback out there, so somebody out there is listening. Um, Today's episode, I tell you what, it's going to be a little more somber than ones I've done in the past. Reason being is that we are going to discuss arguably my, my most successful client. Okay, name will be withheld. But this person has, has since passed away. Now, he, he passed away a handful of years ago, so it isn't, isn't anything that fresh. I'd say four-plus years ago. But his name keeps coming up, okay? And I'll, I'll expand as to why. And I th- I've, I've thought to myself for a long time, a lot of folks out there can learn a lot from this individual, me included, okay? And I'll tell you how I learned or what he taught me uh, during our professional uh, business relationship, but a lot of the things this person did, they're implementable to everybody out there in higher ed. It's just a matter of you out there doing it. I emphasize that because I can't tell you how many times I've shared with folks in higher ed strategies you can do, but nothing ever gets done. Okay, it's just that this person. I don't know what it is. Um, he, he isn't that much of more of a go-getter than you or me or anybody else, but he just did the things, and it really worked out for him. So I'm going to share with you the good things that he did. Now, and I think he would be the first, if he were still here, to, to tell you and share with you the things he didn't do well as well. So we're going to talk about the things he did well, and I'm going to discuss some of the things that uh, post-death, well, is that an oxymoron? A- after he died, after he passed away, we found out some things he didn't do well, okay? So hang tight here. I have nothing written down. I'm going off uh, going off the cuff here. So we'll see how, how many times I stumble over my words here, but bear with me. If you have questions over some of the things that I, uh, that I discuss, you know, some of the uh, strategies this individual implemented, by all means, contact me. I'd give you my phone number. That's pretty much worthless. Nobody ever calls me anymore. Everybody emails me. Email is greg at shepherdfinancial.com. Shepherd is S-H-E-P-A-R-D. Okay, greg at shepherdfinancial.com. Now, before we get going, I've been told by compliance that I have to recite one or two sentences to keep the attorneys at bay for some non-apparent reason. So let me find that sentence. Let's see here. Investment advisory services are offered through SNA Financial Services, which is a registered investment advisor. Me, Greg Shepard, I happen to be a registered rep of said company, SNA Financial Services. Please don't go out and try to implement any of these strategies talked in this episode, talked about in this episode without consulting somebody that knows what the heck they're doing, right? Like a financial, a competent financial advisor or a CPA. None of anything I talk about here in this episode should be construed as investment advice. Okay, we got that out of the way. Let's get going here. So first, let's talk about the things that he did well. Again, things that can be mirrored by everyone out there. Now, before I get going, let me also tell you this. Um, This individual, very, very smart person, very um, analytical, doesn't really have much to do with anything, okay, because... The reason I say this is that I, I, I'll be the first to tell you that this individual 
was intellectually, uh, probably from a number standpoint, okay, he's kind of like that, he wasn't an engineer, but he's on that engineer uh, spectrum, if you will, smarter than myself, okay, when it comes to numbers, which isn't saying a lot, but he was humble enough to understand there's more to gain from having someone help you out than trying to compass this or navigate this on your own. So this individual could have done this on his own, but he hired me to help him out to help navigate these waters, right? And it helped him out tremendously. Things that I taught him that he didn't understand and vice versa. He actually was the catalyst for me to hire a CPA strategist going forward a number of years ago. I, I know about accounting. I know about numbers. I know uh, things. But I didn't. I, I, what I didn't understand is how to strategize from a tax perspective. He helped me hire somebody else to do that for me. Now, the reason I say this is that, another reason I say this is that you all out there, you know, I'm kind of tooting my own horn. You all are busy doing your thing, whatever that thing is professionally in your career. Now, typically, if you want it done right, if you have a very simple tax return, you probably hire, or I'm sorry, do it yourself. But if you have something that's a little more complicated, you hire someone to do that, okay? You, you may have heard this speak before. You don't, you don't uh, do your own dental work, right? You have a doctor, you have a dentist. Why wouldn't you have someone out there to help navigate some of these higher ed retirement plans? Because they are difficult. I'll tell you what, there's two universities that come to mind right now. I don't mind saying them. University of Nebraska and uh, Michigan State going through some transition that's got everybody backwards for the most part, okay? Um, paying somebody to help you out a small fee should be to your advantage, okay? So if you want to explore that relationship, by all means, contact me, and, if, and, we'll, and I could see, of course, how I could help you out. Uh, email greg at shepherdfinancial.com. So this individual, again, smarter than myself, but realize there is value in, help, in having someone help you out navigate these waters. Some of the things that he did well. Now, he passed away when he, uh, after retirement, he was a 80, 80, low 80s, something like that. He started very early. Started early, started early. Now, a lot of you out there might be 65, 70 years old, maybe not that old, but past the, <laughs> the early stages, okay? So that may not do any good. But I do have other clients that realize this fact and helped relay that information to colleagues that are just starting. Okay, so do them a favor, do their future self a favor by telling folks in your department, if you so choose, to do more than what's mandated. Your future self, their future self will thank them. Again, this person that I'm talking about became a multimillionaire two to three times over, at least three times over. Okay, if you catch my drift there, by just doing simple things expressed in this episode. First thing, he started early. Put in as much as he could cash flow. Here is the American problem, right? We try to get, you know, we, we were trying to keep up with the Joneses, try to get that debt just above eye level where we can breathe. Maybe, well, eyes are above the mouth, but you get my, you get the idea. Uh, just to where we can breathe and then work as hard as we can. We work our, our ass off to get that debt down. This person did not do that. He didn't live the Dave, the Dave Ramsey way where, you know, you're, you're paying cash for everything, but he pretty darn close to it, okay? So put away as much as you can, 
as often as you can, you know, on a monthly basis and try to add more to that in terms of retirement. And he was very diligent in doing so. So he, again, well, I didn't, I didn't mention this, but um, no children. That's a big asterisk, okay? So we have to recognize that um, in this conversation. He had no children, no, no financial liabilities in that regard. So let's keep that in mind. But he was very diligent on maxing out his 403B. Now, he, he was at the time period where the Missouri system, if I didn't mention this, he, he, did, he was faculty in the Missouri system, had a pension. Okay, new, newer employees in the Missouri system do not, but he had a pension um, and then maxed out his 403B, all right, and then added a little bit to his 457 as well. So he put in more than the max, which, which a lot of folks have a hard time doing. But remember, he was single. He had one income. If you're out there with two incomes, you can do this. I have folks doing it all the time where one spouse will put in, depending upon the retirement plans, a lot of the times the higher rate of retirement plans will be better than like a 401k for the spouse. So the 403b person, the higher ed, put in a lot towards retirement, whereas the spouse won't put in as much to take advantage of that higher rate retirement plan. So this can be done if you have two incomes, right? So very diligent in putting money into retirement, started early, and he was relentless in taking advantage of every, um, what do I say here, every option and evolution of the retirement plan. Let me give you an example. So he'd been a client for 20 years, and when he became a client, he we you know obviously discussed what he had and all that fun stuff, and he recognized the fact, so here's where it helped him to have someone like myself. He recognized the fact that back then, there were a bunch of insurance companies in his 403B, and they were terrible. The costs were high, the investment choices were bad, and he knew this, but he didn't have much of a choice, so he thought. So he hired me to help him out with some things. I relayed information to him that, hey, your plan stipulates that if you're over 59 and a half, over 59 and a half, which is still rings true today, by the way, it's not as important today as it was back then, but back then, you know, we're talking 18 years ago, something like that. We took, he was still in service. We took money, rolled the money he had out of his 403B into a rollover IRA, thereby lowering his cost and expanding his investment selection. Now, you can still do that. If you're out there at some higher ed retirement plan where your investment selection is not good and you're 60 plus years old, most, make sure you check this out, but most plans stipulate while in service, you can take that over to a rollover IRA. Okay, there's another episode I have on that subject, I'll throw it down the show notes. Okay, so we did that at the beginning, all right, and then put his uh, contributions going forward. I can't remember at the time um, the the best of the worst because none of the, I shouldn't say none, a lot of the selections you could choose from back then weren't good. So his plan evolved, okay? The Missouri system's plan evolved just like all of your other plans out there evolved over time. And they whittled down the, the, the investment selection to Fidelity and TIAA. And I think there were a couple other ones, but those are the ones that survived. And then we ended up doing the best of both worlds uh, strategy. What I mean by that is that and he was a very conservative investor. I'm going to um, piggyback off that here in just a bit. But we comboed TIAA and Fidelity. Most of, most of your institutions out there will allow this. What I'm talking about is 
most institutions will have TIA infidelity. So we use the best products, in, in my opinion, that TIA, T, TIA, we'll call them TIA, that's what they want to be called, TIA had to offer. Then everything else, uh, we utilized Fidelity. And then Brokers Link came along. And there's another thing, uh, feature, option that we took advantage of. Opened Brokers Link and threw down all of his Fidelity money into Brokers Link. So now, you know, prior to retirement, he had X, a, a lot of X here dollars over at TIA. And then the remaining X dollars over in Fidelity's brokerage link account. And he had money in that rollover IRA that we took out uh, because he was over 59 and a half, okay, a long time ago. Oh, other thing I didn't mention is that the Roth feature came along. And he was, uh, I wouldn't say the first, of course, but he brought it to my attention years ago that this became available. And so we obviously looked at it, thought it was a good idea. And so we put... And we figured out the dollars, you know, put some pencil to paper as to how much we wanted to put towards a Roth feature. And so we did that. So we had pre and post money um, in his 403B slash 457 utilizing TIA and Fidelity with a rollover IRA from pre, uh, pre-tax pre monies in a crummy 403B insurance contract that we took out while he was still in service. Okay, so that's kind of where we stand with this individual at this time. Then he retired. Okay, so... He retired, and what we did with his pension is he extracted. Now, again, this this I wouldn't say falls on deaf ears because um, a lot of you out there don't don't have these archaic pensions. But what we did is took out the max of the pension. Okay, he could take out a, a lump sum, which was thirty percent of the pension, roll it over to an IRA, and then annuitize the rest. Okay, you with me here? So we annuitized, let's say, 70% of the pension, took out a lump sum, put that in a rollover IRA, commingled that money with that old crummy insurance 403B. So now it's one rollover IRA. And then we took the money from the 403B 457 out of the Missouri system and put that in a rollover IRA as well. Now, he has some Roth money in there too, remember? So we obviously we did not commingle that money. So we have the Roth buckets and then the pre-tax buckets. And then we, we settled on a distribution plan um, from that, from, from the Roth. He had some other taxable monies as well. Uh, so we put together a nice retirement plan. Again, he could do this on his own, but he doesn't have the powerful software and some of the things that I knew that he just didn't think about. He knew, but he just didn't think about it. So it does help, folks, to have someone in your corner to help navigate these retirement waters. Because I, I shouldn't, I'm not going to guarantee, of course, but folks that are worth their salt in my industry should know more than you on these subjects, just like you know more than me and other folks in my industry about your field of expertise, right? So that's kind of a, I mean, it's a lot more detailed than what I just went, in, went into, but that's some of the things that he did very well. Start early, put in as much as you can, cash flow, take advantage of all the features. This is what Infuriate, infuriates infuriates me is that folks in higher ed uh, not everybody of course and going off a, on a tangent here the folks that contact me the most which is perfectly fine by the way are typically the ones that are ahead of the game in the sense that they just need some tweaking like they're asking me about things that 90% of higher ed employees don't know about when it comes to brokers link the Roth feature the 457 implementing certain strategies. 
Um, most of the folks out there in higher ed don't do anything. And they just default to the target fund and say, hey, see you in 20 years. I can't tell you um, how much in terms of financial incentives, I guess I'll say, what they're missing out on. All right. So maybe do your part in trying to help educate other people, maybe in your department. Or There's so many folks out there missing out on a lot of um, um, advantages that these retirement plans have to offer. Okay. So back to this person. So, um, oh, he also did that over 59 and a half in-service transfer to get out of that crummy insurance 403B he had. Um, and did, I don't need to rehash all the things that he did well, but he did everything well. He kept on it, and he was diligent. You all out there can do that yourself. If you can't, hire somebody to help you out. Okay, I can't emphasize that enough. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to get into things that he did wrong. As I mentioned earlier, this individual... Uh, he did live in the Kansas City area, a fairly, I mean, I wouldn't even say modest home. It was a very nice home, okay, drove a nice car. Again, I'll emphasize that no children, right? He had been married prior, wasn't married at the time, okay? So for, for the whole time I knew him, you know, 20 years. So again, that has a little bearing on what's going on here. That multimillionaire two to three times over, nobody knew it except me, and I am not kidding, nobody. He has had, well, they're still alive, but he has two brothers, I'm sorry, three brothers. Is that right? Yeah, three brothers and a sister. They didn't have a clue, and they are all close-knit. Actually, upon retirement, he moved to where his siblings live, and they all live within, lived within um, a couple miles of each other. Actually went up went up uh, this part of the country and visited visited with all of them. We had a little oh I guess I'll call it a picnic where there were some adult beverages involved. Had a good old time, uh, reminiscing their 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 younger years and um, it, it was a lot. It was a good time. I have fond memories uh, from this family and this individual client as well. So what he did, my client, he was very careful in the sense that he wanted to provide for his family, his, his immediate family, his brothers, uh, three brothers and a sister. He grew up um, poor. They had nothing, nothing. And when I went and visited him after retirement, he was living in his uh, family's home that was built, I don't know when. It looked like it, it was dilapidated. But, and again, this, this has to do with his lifestyle, okay? This may not be on par for you, but he didn't, he didn't need much, right? And that was obvious. Here we are. We have a multi-multi-millionaire living in a, uh, not condemned, but a dilapidated house, um, making sure he was very unselfish in the sense that he, wa- he wanted his, his siblings to be taken care of. So he didn't tell them how much money he had, but he did have his beneficiaries correct. Now... What he did wrong was his siblings had no idea, A, how many accounts he had and where the accounts were. Okay, now this is important due to the fact that upon his passing, this is kind of twofold here. Upon his passing, his brother, which was the executor of his estate, he did have a will in place, which was, thank God for that. Him, his brother, trying to track down all of the accounts that my client had 
was a daunting task in a sense that we he just his brother is a client of mine by the way he just contacted me uh last week and informed me of an insurance policy that my client had on his father folks his father died five years prior to him passing so the brother had to hire an attorney to go through probate because the dad's no longer living. This is a $180,000 life insurance policy. But he got it worked out, but it was a headache. So what, what you can take away from this is that like my clients, I have a, well, I call it a retirement, what do I call it? A retirement roadmap uh, binder. I mean, it's just generic term. I have a binder on all my clients. And if my clients don't have an area that at their home with a, some sort of, you know, I wouldn't call it a safe deposit box, but a, an area that has all your files in it, I tell them, hey, just give it to me. I'll take care of it. And what you need to do, Mr. and Mrs. Client, is tell whomever is going to be your executor, give them my information. And this has happened, I can't tell you how many times over the last 20 years. I get a phone call from a nephew, a sister, a brother, whatever the case is, and say, hey, Joe or Mary just passed away. They told me to call you. And let me tell you, I, I whip that binder out and we go through the accounts because my clients have given me all that information. Okay, not necessarily all the accounts are with me, but I have all that information. And I can't tell you how much it puts the you know surviving sibling, spouse, whomever it is, at ease knowing that this is, you know, you just go down the list, check it off. IRA, IRA, life insurance, life insurance, you just knock it out. This family, it took them, they're still going through it. It took them years to get everything done. They kept getting letters. They kept finding money that uh, their brother uh, had left them, inheritance. And they didn't know how to deal with it. But they did hire me and an accountant and an attorney. So we were getting it. Uh, so lesson here is that get organized. I can't emphasize this enough. Get organized, whatever that means to you. And make sure upon your passing, like my, me and my wife, we, I have a daughter. We have a daughter. and Well, she's nine. So if me and my wife were to pass prematurely, who, who's, who's left to, you know, a nine-year-old is not going to go down the list, of course, of my accounts. So in this case, my brother ha- knows where to find all my information. I say, hey, go here, and um, you're the executor and just knock it out one at one um, after another. It should be fairly simple. Now, I said um, prior there was twofold here. There was another thing that he did that I don't, I don't even know if he admitted it, it was, that it was incorrect now, but he was stubborn to the point where I don't recall exactly, but his health directives, I, I, we had problems with it. I can't recall exactly, but it wasn't as cut and dry um, as you would typically see within a will having that health directive. He, his, his health went south quickly. Um, I won't get into all the medical details, but he, to a point, now this is terrifying, to a point where in, in his Kansas City home, he fell down the stairs. He had a stroke, fell down stairs going to the basement, and uh, it's been a while, so I can't recall exactly. Uh, it's those horror stories that you hear about where he, oh yeah, he, le- he was left lying on the floor by himself and crawled up the stairs to call 911. Now, how this occurred, I, I have no idea. Um, so then there's some other things that we're not going to get into right now. But 
he needed to move to be closer to home, and so that's what he did. Uh, but he was too stubborn to have any medical things. He, he didn't like going to the hospital or doctors or anything like that. But his last days were spent uh, in a nursing care facility. He really didn't want any of his brothers or sisters to have full power of attorney on his accounts to get things organized. And that was frustrating for a lot of people because there's things that needed to be done. So lesson learned here. Inside your will, you can have a medical directive, a health directive, um, whereas if you become, I guess I'll use the word incapacitated, to, to the point where you're not mentally able to decisively make decisions in an intellectually way, in, in an intellectual way, okay, you just can't do it mentally, you need to have someone uh, on, on your behalf do that for you. And that can be accomplished through documents that an attorney draws up for you. Now, I personally don't have this done, right? But I'm making it a point. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to you December 2nd, which tomorrow happens to be my, happens to be my birthday, by the way. Um, that's enough said on that. Turning 46, so I'm not getting any younger. But come turn of the year, I already have an appointment with an attorney that my clients use to get a lot of this stuff done. So I think this client in passing uh, can, tie, can, can teach a lot of good financial habits slash strategies to those of you out there that are willing to do it's not not even put in the work just be humble enough to know that somebody else can help you and you need to pay them for that service right and one other thing that this individual did that i i i, I don't know if i say admire but certainly respected um and he was smart enough to know i tell this to clients all the time that you Everybody out there, me included, you are not smarter than the stock market. You, nobody in the history of the stock market has been able to consistently and accurately predict the market. Okay, They may get a certain cycle correct and they'll write a book and make millions and say they're the best prognost- prognosticator of the markets ever and you know, you know the story. But that person doesn't exist. So what this individual did, my client, I call, I'll call, I call him my most successful client ever, is that... We decided on investments that were cheap, index-related, that had, you know, for the stock market, had good companies in them. Blue chip, he wasn't into, you know, your high-flying tech companies. He was very simple, dividend. And I'm not saying this is a strategy to implement. This is just his strategy. Very simple, blue chip, dividend-paying companies, and we diversified Okay, we did have some smalls, mids, and large, mostly large, uh, but we did did a, a very optimal, diversified portfolio using software I had. And on the bond side, we just wanted to be stable. We wanted it stable. We wanted that cushion for when the market turned around to have that non-volatile part of the portfolio. And there's ways we accomplished that as well. And then didn't touch it. That's what I want to emphasize. For the most part, every now and again, we would tweak it a little bit, but he knew he wasn't smarter than the stock market or the bond market, so he wasn't in there trying to massage the portfolio given certain economic scenarios. He let the markets be efficient slash economy and knew that with little tweaks here and there, over time, you're going to be in the green. Okay, and he was, his accounts, I'm here to tell you, his accounts did so much better 
than my more aggressive clients trying to outsmart the, the markets, which I tell them all the time, you cannot rationalize an irrational entity. So quit trying to do it. You're not going to win. So take that from this individual as well. Let the markets be efficient and don't, don't think that you're smarter than the markets. All right, folks, um, that's all I have. There's a lot more I could talk about this individual. A fascinating guy, to be honest. He liked his, uh, one, one little story is um, he liked his, his beer, all right? So we would meet for his quarterly report meeting, his quarterly review over his favorite watering hole, um, I, I even hesitate to give that, but, um, and he only smoked cigarettes during these meetings. I don't know why. I don't smoke. I never have and never will, but uh, he, he found a cigarette every now and again enjoyable, so his excuse to have that cigarette was a quarterly review, and he'd have a couple couple adult beverages and uh, just tell stories. He was a great storyteller, so I really enjoyed this individual, and I was sad to see that his health deteriorated and eventually got the best of him. So, but if he can, if he could teach something to you all out there upon his passing, I think we're all better for it, right? All right, enough of that, folks. Um, if you want to contact me on anything that I talked about in this episode, by all means, do so. Do not call me. I'm not not even going to give you my phone number, but email is greg at shepherdfinancial.com. Shepherd is S-H-E-P-A-R-D. And as always, in closing, I implore you to take control of your retirement today. Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Retire Podcast. Just because this episode is over doesn't mean you can't continue your retirement journey. Please visit www.higheredretire.com to see how you can work with Greg or to simply ask him a question. Thanks again. S&A Financial Services is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.